Welcome to the Enchanted Ears Podcast, where we discuss anything and everything Disney. I'm Angela. And I'm Joe. And on today's episode, we have an interview with Disney legend Tom Nabby. And we had a, a great discussion with Tom. We actually are splitting this up into two separate episodes. So this is going to be part one of two. And on this part, we're going to be discussing his early career from starting the very first day Disneyland opened. <laughs> through being Tom Sawyer, through his time at Disneyland, and ultimately when he moved over to Disney World to run the monorail over there. So this part one will take us through that, and then next week we'll have part two about his time at kind of Disney World and beyond. But great discussion. To Disney World and beyond. Yeah, he has quite a storied past with Disney and all of the parks. I mean, he's basically woven into the fabric of the history of the parks. And it's our first Disney legend too. Absolutely. First Disney legend. Imagineer. First of many. Yeah. Imagineer. Hopefully. It was uh, true. True. <laughs> but it, it was great. Yeah. Like you said, he, um, on next week's episode, Elton John. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like you said, he, he was kind of woven into the history of Disney. Again, he was there the opening day. He originated the role of Tom Sawyer on Tom Sawyer's Island. You know, had some great stories of his interactions with Walt as a young kid. So it, it was just really great to hear that of kind of see Disney history kind of through his eyes of the theme parks. Right. It was great. But before we get into part one of that interview, we're going to cover Disney news for the week. You know, again, some some more good news, I'd say, that theme parks are returning somewhat back to normal. Disney's returning somewhat back to normal. Yeah, in this case, some news is good news. Yes. <laughs> yes, that's true. So Disney announced that the Disney College program will be back this summer. And they actually announced that any students who were in the program last year when it got canceled will kind of be invited back and have first priority. And even if you graduated, they're going to make an exception. So even if you graduated, they'll still uh, have a chance to come back. So I think that, that's really good. This is really nice because I think a lot of people missed out on the normal college experience. And so Disney is recognizing that and recognizing that those people went through a process to be there. And so they're respecting that and allowing exceptions. So I think it's really good. Yeah, I, I think it's great. And again, yeah, all the kids that got accepted, they didn't get the chance to do it. They're going to be able to do it. And I think Disney, I mean, realizes as a company too, they hire a lot of these kids out of the college program. And so, mm-hmm. you know, if you lose a class or two of that, you know, you're losing talent coming right. in. They're going to go elsewhere. You don't want them to go to Universal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you want to keep them in Disney. But yeah, it's great. And I, I think it's really nice that they allow the kids that maybe would have graduated this year and then technically wouldn't have been eligible for the college program. Man, I wish they made an exception for that. I wish I would have known about this. I wish I would have known about this. Yeah, that's what I was just going into. I think that, can I, do they allow like adult, like can I enroll in college now just so I can apply? Maybe. I don't know what the rules are. (laughs) Is there an age limit? Go back to, yeah, go back to school and do this. I'm not sure. (laughs) I think we should do an episode on the college program. Yeah, it's kind of the history of it. That that Uh would be an interesting episode. So, and so, This past week was May the 4th, and for Star Wars Day, Disney released footage of the retractable lightsaber that they have built. We talked about this a few weeks ago on kind of our news roundup that there was footage of this shown during a virtual press conference, but nothing was released. It was kind of just the things whispered about in alleyways. (laughs) Have you seen this? So. So Disney finally revealed some video of it. It looks pretty cool. I mean, it it looks pretty, like pretty. It looks cool. like a lightsaber. It doesn't move as quickly as I thought it would, and it does look like the hilt looks a little bit chunky. Like it looks pretty big, and I think the way uh, Ray was holding it, it just looked kind of like stiff. Like there wasn't a lot of like fluid motion to it. So I imagine this is like an early prototype of it. You really analyzed it. I was just like, whoa, that looks awesome. Well, I said, whoa, for about the first 10 times I watched it. Okay. And then by the time like 11, I started being like, okay, let's, let's look at this a little bit closer, but it, it just doesn't look as fluid. And I think maybe, you know, maybe you can't move it around as much. Maybe that blade's not, Maybe that blade's kind of flexible, and so it, it will shake. I don't know. But they announced that this is going to be... I, I wonder how destructible it is. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> we'll have to try that if we can ever get our hands on one Yeah, of I don't them. know if these are going to be for sale. Shameless plug for our YouTube video. <laughs> yeah. yeah, be sure to check that out. We, we try to destroy one of the uh, current lightsabers that you can buy at Galaxy's Edge, and it turns out they're, they're pretty indestructible. But They're tough. 
But I, I don't know yeah, if these are going to be for sale because Disney announced, as we kind of speculated, this is something for the hotel, and they announced that guests of the Galactic Star Cruiser will be the first to see this. Now, I don't know if they're going to be able to use it or if this is just going to be something that the characters have and it's maybe part of like a controlled experience because, again, the way they're kind of using it, it doesn't seem like you would want to really use this as an actual lightsaber. It, it looks like it's more for just like maybe a show or some sort of effect, but it's interesting to see. But the other news is that the Galactic Star Cruiser is going to be opening in 2022. My money's on May 4th next year. My, my money's on that at some point later this year, they start bookings, but that it actually opens on May 4th in 2022. So that's exciting though, that that is still moving forward and we kind of have a year. They kind they originally said 2021, but I don't think anybody really believed that was going to happen. So mm -hmm. we have 2022 now and we have footage I mean, that there will be this lightsaber there. And I know that there is a building because we have seen it. So I Oh think, yeah, they're definitely working on I it. I think that the chances are better than not that it will be completed in the 2022 year. Oh no, it's definitely going to get completed for 2022. I mean, now they've, they've put a date out there and they've announced it. Yeah, it's, it's definitely happening. So uh, yeah, it's interesting to see. It'll be interesting to see this lightsaber in action and what it's actually used for. And then the final piece of news is around Halloween. So there is not going to be a Mickey's not so scary Halloween party this year, but Disney did, did announce that down in Walt Disney world, at the magic kingdom, there's going to be a Disney after hours boo bash. And this is going to take place on select nights from August 10th to October 31st. And what's interesting about this is it's only three hours. So it starts at 9 PM and only runs till midnight. Now, guests will be able to enter as early as 7. And so it's an after-hours ticketed event. It's not the full-blown Halloween party. I don't know. I don't think they're going to have trick-or-treating or like full parades, but it sounds like they're going to have cavalcades and some characters out. So kind of like what they're doing now in the parks. They didn't announce like fireworks or anything. So it seems like it's kind of a toned-down Mickey's not-so-scary Halloween party, but at least it's something. Yeah, I would be interested to see this because I feel like they will do something to make it special. Like I, I feel like they will do something to differentiate it from Mickey's not so scary. Cause I mean, people are still probably going to pay Mickey's not so scary prices is my guess. So I'm thinking that they will probably bring something out to make it extra special for people who are missing it. Yeah. No word on, on pricing yet. I do think it, it may be a little bit less than what Mickey's not so scary. Halloween party was because again, this is only from nine to midnight. Whereas I think the Halloween party started at like seven till midnight. I think that was five hours, whereas this is only three hours. So I imagine this will be a little bit cheaper. Um, but yeah, no, no word on prices yet. But I think it's good that they're at least having something that probably bodes well for some sort of Christmas event. I I think maybe they go this path path again where it's not the very merry Christmas party, but maybe it's called something else. It's a shorter after hours event. So. Uh, we'll see, but I definitely think they'll have something for Christmas now. Yeah, but I, but I think that's a step in the right direction. And like you said, I think people who are fans of the Halloween party will probably be really excited about this. It's a chance to wear your costumes, a chance to see some characters. Wearing their cool costumes. Yeah, wearing, yeah, wearing their costumes, seeing some cavalcades. So I think it's, it's all good and uh, pretty exciting. Yeah. All right, so let's jump into our interview now with Tom Nabby. So we are honored to be joined on the show today by Tom Nabby. Tom started selling newspapers at Disneyland in 1955, was the original Tom Sawyer on Tom Sawyer Island, is a Disney legend, has his own window on Main Street, and is the author of From Disneyland's Tom Sawyer to Disney Legend. Tom, quite a lot of accomplishments. Thank you for being on the show today. Uh, you're welcome, Joe. I would just like to share my, my uh, Disney heritage with anybody that wants to listen to it. Uh, sometimes they fall asleep, so you know, <laughs> have to wake them up. I did a, uh, a presentation for uh, a college uh, class for a, a professor that used to be one of the employees at Walt Disney World, and it was sort of interesting. Uh, the, the front row just typing away on their computers on every word I would say. The next three rows were sort of attentive. And the last two rows, they slept through most of my presentation. So, uh, you know, I can I can handle almost anything. I think we have mostly, you know, the first row listeners oh, okay. to, in yes. our podcast. Yes. So, so you're good. 
and you're our first Disney legend we've had on the show. So this is, um, again, quite an honor. We're very excited to hear, hear your stories and your time with the company. So uh, as I kind of mentioned in the intro, you were at Disneyland 1955 when it opened and, and you've pretty much been working at the parks ever since then. So can you, can you talk a little bit about that, what it was like being at Disneyland on opening day and what kind of drew you to work there so soon at such a young age too? <laughs> yeah, so yeah. How old were you? Uh, 12. Okay. okay. <laughs> uh, we, we had relocated to, to Anaheim from LA and uh, I had a paper route in Los Angeles. And when we got to Anaheim, I wanted to get another paper route uh, to, to earn some money and found out that it was considered rural and you had to have a car and a driver's license in order to have a paper route. Okay, well, I was only 12. Okay, so <laughs> I wasn't going to fill those. But I had the opportunity to get a Sunday paper route. And if you went back in that time frame, uh, the, the Sunday newspaper weighed a pound, pound and a half. It was, had 50 sections in it. It was a big newspaper. Uh, and so I established a, a uh, neighborhood uh, clientele of about 20, 25 uh, people. And then my paper manager would drop off any extra papers he had. So I go delivered to, to, to my route. And then I had a little cart that I hooked onto the back of my bicycle. And I would pedal over uh, to the harbor gate uh, at at Disneyland and that's where all the employees went in and out and so I would try to get there relatively early so I could catch the construction workers that were working three shifts okay. as they were going home and sell them sell them the Sunday newspapers uh, and that worked out pretty good uh, and, and <laughs> that's term, a genius yeah and term what I did is is uh, I met a gentleman by the name of of uh, uh, Ray Ahmet. Uh, Joe and Ray Ahmet's were lessees at Disneyland, and they had the Castle News concession that was on Main Street. And uh, they were going to, they had a, a Disneyland newspaper. Uh, they rented wheelchairs and strollers. Uh, they had a little printing press in there, and they'd they put your name uh, in the headline of the newspaper or on a wanted poster or whatever okay. you want. So uh, 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 Joe asked me, he said, you know, you want to sell newspapers for me? And I said, oh, absolutely. And he said, okay, uh, after the park opens every morning uh, around 7 o'clock, I'll be out uh, in front of the park on the, on the left-hand side of the park as, as, as you face the park. Uh, and, uh, uh, we'll give you a hundred newspapers. And if you sell a hundred newspapers outside the park, then we'll let you come inside the park and continue to sell newspapers for that day. So that was sort of an incentive. Uh, mm -hmm. so in turn, uh, we got to go to a little bit of, of my mother was a starlet wannabe. And we okay. used to go. We used to go up to Hollywood all the time for the mm -hmm. premiere openings and everything that was going on. And uh, uh, she is that lady that's standing behind the barricade uh, with uh, with her autograph book, wanting okay. to get every, everybody's <laughs> autograph. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, she definitely wanted to be in the movies. And if she wasn't in the movies, she wanted one of her kids to be in the movies. <laughs> so we used to go to every TV. Uh, 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 taping or uh, well they didn't tape back then show uh, that she could get tickets or get into uh, so she was very very active along that line so on Disneyland's press opening day which is July 17th 1955 and where all the celebrities were coming in well, guess who was out in front of Disneyland with her <laughs> autograph book, and I tagged along. And uh, uh, she had asked Danny Thomas for his his autograph, and he very cordially gave that to her. And he sort of leaned forward, and he says, you know, have you been into the park? And she says, oh, no. You know, we weren't invited. And he says, well, I got a couple extra tickets 
Oh, would you wow. like to have, would you like to have them? And wow. her eyes got about this big around <laughs> that time ring and yes. And so, so we went in to the press opening for Disneyland on July 17th as guests of Danny Thomas. That's oh, amazing. wow. Yeah. That's and, incredible. <laughs> and, and when we got inside, everything had broken down. It was, <laughs> it, it was probably the trashiest I've ever seen a Disney park in my 50-year career. Uh, <laughs> and I think Walt saw the same thing because I think, I think cleanliness went to the top of the list of, of making sure that the park was, was sparkling clean. And uh, yeah, I probably added a few trash cans in there. So uh, I I do remember uh, we got to into Fantasyland, uh, and uh, the carousel was running, and we did ride the carousel in Fantasyland. Wow. Okay, so the next morning, on on July eighteenth, uh, my neighbor from across the street, Doug Harmon, and I went over and stood in line and bought tickets. So we went in as guests on the 18th for the actual uh, opening of Disneyland. To, How to much were tickets? Uh, 50 cents. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so then the next morning, I showed up at seven o'clock and found Ray, and he gave me a hundred newspapers, and I started. I started my newspaper career, and I've always said uh, I was a uh, uh, independent contractor. Okay, so uh, in turn, I sold the paper for ten cents. Uh, Ray got seven. I got three. Okay, uh, and uh, it was a monthly publication. Uh, it told a little bit about the history of Disneyland told about coming events and gave all the participants the opportunity to advertise in the, in the newspapers. Uh, the, the, well, I should have said lessees. We call them participants at Walt Disney world and mm -hmm. lessees at Disneyland. Okay. Okay. So, and it was before the guidebooks uh, were out. The guidebooks come out, Oh, uh, probably six months after the park opened up. Uh, and in turn, uh, I, I, uh, I had a couple other little jobs. I, 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 I flew model airplanes in the flight circle and in Tomorrowland, uh, to, uh, the, the guys that ran the show over there wanted a kid. So I came in and could show the kids that kids could fly model airplanes too. Uh, I, I counted people, uh, that went in and out of Pendleton, uh, to earn a couple dollars. My neighbor, uh, was the, the chef in Aunt Jemima's kitchen, and I washed dishes in there. Uh, and in the winter of uh, uh, 50, 55, 56, they had the Mickey Mouse Circus, uh, which is, was in uh, the Fantasyland area, about the same place that they built the Matterhorn. Okay, and, okay. I worked, and I worked in wardrobe there. Uh, and they had two shows a day, uh, one around five o'clock and another one around seven. Uh, and I would help the Mouseketeers mothers, uh, get dressed into, uh, character costumes because they were in the finale, uh, for the circus. And I remember, uh, Bobby Burgess, uh, mother was either Chip or Dale and Annette's mother was a uh, flower. Those those two sort of stand out in my my, my memory. Okay, so and that Funicello, right? Uh, yes, it was uh, it was real interesting. Those kids were there all all the time, and they had moved some trailers in, and they actually went to school uh, during the day. Uh, Walt came over and visited them uh, a few. He didn't come visit me, but again, visit Mouseketeers, uh, and uh, uh, they did that for for almost four or five months uh, before the circus shut down. So I did that during the week, uh, uh, you know, in the evening and that type of thing, but I was still selling newspapers any chance I got uh, <laughs> in order to, to do that. And one of the other things we did is all the neighborhood kids would go over and we would ride the mules around. And so they would get used to people riding them 
Uh, oh, wow. So, <laughs> you were the guinea uh, pigs. Yeah. Well, actually, I sort of said walking sandbags is what we were. <laughs> okay. So uh, I, I was going to ask, I, I mean, you know, it sounds like within, you know, the first six months to a year, I mean, you kind of did a little bit of everything at Disneyland. What was it like being at the park as part of the opening? I can imagine, like you said, you know, the first day uh, there was a lot of stuff breaking down. I mean, I imagine things were changing rapidly. I mean, hmm. did you did you see a lot of changes? Was was there this sense that this park was something special and, you know, it was kind of just growing rapidly every day? Yeah, almost for the for the first 10 years. Okay. Uh, it was a learning curve uh, all the way through. Uh, and, and every day was was something new and different. Uh, and and understand that Disneyland was closed on Monday and Tuesdays. That's right. right. That's right. Right. Okay. So, and they didn't start opening up uh, uh, seven days a week until I want to say the late seventies. Hmm. Uh, oh wow! Uh, but during holidays, they were open seven days a week, mm -hmm. and summer they were open seven days a week. Uh, one of the other things that I did when I went uh, was that I shagged papers up to the manager of publicity, a uh, gentleman named by. Uh, Eddie Mech, uh, Joe and Ray would take all the advertisements and and one ads and everything out of the paper, but would send the the real gutsy part of the paper, uh, okay. and I would haul that up to Eddie's office, and it was in the uh, city hall. It was on the ground floor for the first month or two, and then it was moved upstairs. So I end up getting a pretty good relationship with publicity and anytime they had a, a, an event going on, uh, Eddie, Eddie would say, go get that redheaded kid, that, that Tom <laughs> kid, and we'll use him in this shot. And I had, uh, the, uh, ability to be in a lot of publicity shots, uh, uh, through the, through the first year out there. One of them was with, uh, uh, I don't know if the names mean anything to you, but Milton Burrow, uh, oh, yeah. who, was, who uh -huh. was a major, a major uh, uh, TV uh, comedian and actor. And uh, Jerry Lewis came to the park in, oh, August, okay. Okay. Yeah. in August of 1955. And I had the opportunity to get a, a photo op standing between the two of them and uh, 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 Ray had put uh, you know, uh, welcome uh, Melty and Jerry to Disneyland in the headline of, of the newspaper. I bet your mom loved that. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, Did she, she get their autographs too? <laughs> <laughs> no, the, this was a little later on, but, but it was Christmas cards for that year. Okay. Uh, was, was, was Tom on the, uh, with the uh, Uncle Melty and, and, and Jerry. So somewhere in the winter of 55, uh, somebody told me that Walt had made a decision uh, to build Tom Sawyer's Island on the rivers of America in, in frontier land. And that you look just like Tom Sawyer, you should ask him to hire again. And mm -hmm. I thought that was one heck of an idea. And, and Walt was in the park quite frequently. Uh, he'd come down on, on Friday evenings uh, from the studio and uh, stay in his apartment. Uh, and then he'd get up, he'd get up early in the morning and, and, and visit with the employees that were there, the landscape people and the security people and the maintenance people. And he'd actually stay in a park until the guest card uh, came in until he got uh, uh, inundated for, with autographs and then okay. he sort of exit stage left. So I found Walt uh, and it was, uh, it was behind the, the uh, fire station where his uh, apartment was. And I introduced myself and I, and I told him I heard he was going to build Tom Sawyer's Island and that I looked just like Tom Sawyer and he should hire me. Well, he didn't, <laughs> <laughs> but he didn't say no. Okay. He said yeah. he'd think about it. All right. So uh -huh. he left the door open and I'm a pretty persistent guy. I was just going to say, this is a great lesson for anybody or any kids maybe listening in persistence. 
Yeah. And so anytime that Walt was in the park, I would approach him and ask him if he was still thinking about hiring me. And I, I, I really think when he first started with Tom Sawyer's Island, I don't think he thought about having a Tom Sawyer on okay. Tom Sawyer's Island. Uh, I think it was going to be more like uh, uh, Snow White, where when you went to the island, you were Tom Sawyer. If you ride Snow White, White you don't White. you don't okay. see Snow White. You're Snow White, you know? right? Right. Okay. So I I think I talked him into to establishing a face character of Tom Sawyer. Okay. <laughs> and uh, uh, I, I remember one time we were sitting uh, talking with him about hiring me, and he told me that he could put a, a dummy or a mannequin. I think he said he could put a mannequin over there that would be leaving every 15 minutes for a hot dog and Coke. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, but in turn, it was uh, uh, in uh, May of 56. I want to say May. Could have been uh, April, but I'm pretty sure it was in mid-May. I was in the Penny Arcade playing my hard-earned dollars on the on the baseball <laughs> machine. I love that baseball machine. And a gentleman by the name of Dick Nunes came up mm -hmm. and tapped me on the shoulder. I don't know if that name means anything to mm -hmm. you, but, mm -hmm. but uh, Dick at that time was the, the, the supervisor of Frontierland Liberty Square. Uh, okay. I take that back, kid. Uh, the the supervisor of Frontierland. Okay. Uh -huh. uh, yeah, Liberty Square is in, in Walt Disney World. So right, right. Uh, uh, so in in turn, he, we walked over, and uh, uh, Walt and Morgan Evans, Bill Evans, the landscape architect for Disneyland, were, were coming off the island uh, on one of the rafts, and and Walt said, "Well, you still want to be Tom Sawyer?" And I told him, absolutely, Mr. Disney. And uh, we talked for a little bit there. And he said, you know, you need to get a work permit and a Social Security card. And once you do that, I'll put you to work as Tom Sawyer. Wow. Uh, Walt, Walt was fairly easy to talk to. Uh, it sounds had, like it. Yeah. yeah. Well, he, you know, he had two, he had two teenage daughters. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. He had a whole lot of, of child actors, uh, and right. he had all the Mickey Mouse Club, uh, guys. So, so talking with him was, was, was pretty easy and he listened, uh, and, uh, he'd let you finish and then he'd throw his two cents in whatever, <laughs> whatever that was. So I end up, uh, getting my, uh, my, uh, uh, social security card. That was no problem. Went to the office in Santa Ana and filled out the forms and, and got that work permit was a little bit more of a challenge. I had to get a form from school, had to take it to the employment office, get it filled out. And I had to take it back to school, and then they would issue the work permit. So, in turn, I uh, I showed up. Uh, the employment office was in a house on West Street that they didn't tear down. Uh, so I went into the employment office and told the lady behind the the counter that uh, uh, my story, and uh, she asked me to have a seat. And she went in and told the manager uh, of of employment, Chuck Whalen. Uh, this kid's out here and said, well, hired him <laughs> and, uh, the Nunes knew all about it. And, uh, so the side of the story I hear from Dick is that Chuck called Dick and said, Dick, I got this kid over here that says, well, hired to be Tom Sawyer. You know, we don't hire kids. Yeah. I was going to say, were you still 12 at the time? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Uh, well, I just. No, I hadn't turned 13. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I was still 12 at the time. And uh, so Dick uh, basically said he took a deep breath and he said, Chuck, uh, Walt did hire him. So let your conscience be your guide. <laughs> and at that, at that point, all my paperwork got filled out and I, uh, I got the job as, as Tom Sawyer. I was called a guest aide. It was my job title uh, in, in that time frame. And, and my, my rate of pay was 75 cents an hour because that's what minimum wage was uh, back in that. So if, if you go, if you look at the opening of Tom Sawyer's Island, uh, it's, it's uh, June 20th, 1956. 
No, it's June 16th, 1956. And I didn't go to work until June 18th. So the kids that are in the publicity shots are the kids that won the Tom Sawyer and Becky Thatcher contest from Hannibal, Missouri, that they they brought them out to, to Disneyland uh, to participate in the opening of Tom Sawyer's Island. So what did Tom Sawyer entail? Like, what would you do day to day? Okay. Well, you just jumped in there because I was going to tell you. What did okay. Tom Sawyer do? <laughs> okay. Uh, uh, we, we had stocked the rivers of America with bluegill, uh, catfish, and oh. subperch. Had fenced off an area around the two fishing docks that were just opposite the, the Mark Twain uh, landing. Uh, and, uh, we, I, I had 25 fishing poles on each of the piers. And so part of the job was to maintain the fishing poles, uh, build new holes if they got damaged, untangle the ones if they got tangled up. Oh, uh, I bet it, that was fun. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I learned a lot of patience back then. <laughs> that time. And, uh, the, the, the fishing pole, uh, consisted of a cane pole, a line, a cork, a sinker and a hook. And then, uh, we had, uh, uh, uh cups nailed, uh, to the railing or, or on both the docks and said worms. And the, uh, the bait was, was, uh, 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 red night crawlers, uh, and I would put those in the potting soil uh, there for the for the guests. So uh, maintain the fishing poles, bait the hooks. Uh, when we originally opened up, it was a catch and clean program. So there was an area if the guests wanted to keep the fish, I would go clean it and I put it in, in a plastic bag uh, for them and give it back to the guests. Uh, that didn't last very long. That lasted <laughs> maybe, maybe a month, if, if that long. And uh, old dead fish started showing up in places that you didn't was, really want was, dead fish. I was going to say, I, I don't understand why they yeah, wouldn't. <laughs> yeah. In, in, the, in the middle of August, they weren't refrigerated. Oh. So oh, nobody, God. nobody took them home. Right. Uh, yeah. Uh, but you know, the, the, the kids wanted it at the time. So we immediately changed from uh, catch and clean to catch and release. And mm. I, uh, I debarbed all the hooks had a pair of needle nose pliers and would squeeze the barbs down on the hook. Okay. okay. And I, I would pose for a lot of pictures. I, I think I was in everybody's family album uh, uh, for the next three years. Uh, and I would, I would respond to, to Tom Sawyer or Huckleberry Finn. Uh, I wouldn't respond to Becky Thatcher or any of Joe that was uh, on the list. So that's what Tom Sawyer did. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I had the opportunity to, uh, be in, uh, several, uh, uh, major, uh, magazine articles. And I was on the cover of parade magazine as the luckiest boy in the world. And I, in, in 1957 and in 1958, I was in, in the Saturday evening post uh, with Walt uh, sitting on a railing. Uh, and uh, it was sort of neat when my son had projects in school, we'd go to the library and I could go pull a, we all remember what microfish was. Mm -hmm. I'd go pull a microfish uh, for the Saturday post to say, Hey, see your dad's here in the library. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I've talked with other questions you have. So, you know, um, you got to kind of know Walt a little bit. What is something that maybe a lot of people don't know about Walt Disney that you think that they should know? That he, uh, understood, uh, children very well. Mm -hmm. Uh, one of the things, uh, and when we walked the Island a couple times, you know, Walt would, would talk about, he built the island uh, for the kids to explore. He put the paths on the island for the adults to get around. And uh, uh, in places uh, that he didn't want the kids to go, he planted holly uh, bushes and bougainvillea <laughs> and uh, put up barbed wire fences. So so uh, uh, that, that, was, that was a little bit on... Uh, as far as as uh, 
Walt really uh, enjoyed people and enjoyed asking questions. Uh, and uh, uh, he, he listened. Uh, the, the old timers uh, told me about uh, Walt's eyebrow. And, and well, when Walt's eyebrow on the right side went up, okay, you, he had, you had his total attention. Oh, okay. that's an so, interesting tell. Yeah. So, so in turn, if, if you had something that you wanted to promote, you watched for that eyebrow. Okay. <laughs> and then you did your promotion. You, you kind of mentioned even earlier that, you know, he was very good communicating with children, even though you were 12 or 13, he would kind of listen to you, you know, kind of hear you out and then maybe give his thoughts. I mean, it sounds like, you know, he, he was kind of a, a special person to be around at that time. And like you mentioned, he's always in the parks, always kind of driving for change and perfection that, um, you know, he, he was personable. It wasn't like he was somebody who kind of felt like he was maybe above kind of interacting with people. So it, it does sound like he would, um, it would be kind of like a joy to be around him. Oh yeah. Uh, you know, that we, 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 he'd come over in the morning we'd go walk the Island and, and, uh, he was getting ready to do a major rehab. And he asked me what, what did the Island need, Tom? Okay. And, and, uh, I told him, I said, it needed an escape tunnel from Fort wilderness and it needed a tree house. Oh okay. yeah. And sure enough, when it came back up from that rehab uh, in, in uh, uh, 1958, we had a tree house and we had an escape tunnel from Fort Wilners. We had teeter-totter rock, merry-go-round rock, and castle rock. Now, I won't take credit for the rocks, but I will <laughs> take credit for art directing on the, on the tree house and, and uh, the escape tunnel. There was a platform it was called Lookout Point is where the treehouse was built. Early bit of Imagineering there. <laughs> yeah. And so obviously you didn't stay Tom Sawyer forever. Um, you, you kind of <laughs> grew up, out, out, outgrew the role there. What, once you kind of outgrew Tom Sawyer, did you can continue with Disneyland? Was that something that you enjoyed working there? You kind of always wanted to stay within Disney or did it just kind of so happen that you just, you know, picked up another task and just kind of kept going? Well, <laughs> Yeah, uh, part of it's being at the right place at the right time. Uh, mm -hmm. Part of it is to understand uh, the opportunities that, that were there. Uh, and in turn, I needed a job. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, so all those things combined together. Uh, and uh, uh, what they did is they held a contest in uh, uh, 1961 when I turned 18 and, and graduated from high school. And they replaced me with a, a kid by the name of Keith Murdoch. And he worked for the next three years in the summertime only. He lived in, in uh, Utah, uh, the summertime only as, as Tom Sawyer. Uh, and I became a, a, a ride operator. Uh, now, the guys had taught me how to drive the raft early in the mornings when I would come in. Uh, so when I turned 18 and became a ride operator, I had, I had no on the job training to drive a raft <laughs> because I could drive and park a raft any place on the rivers of America. Uh, Cause I had some very good mentors and teachers along that line. So that first summer I, I, I worked as, as a, uh, a ride operator on Tom Sawyer's Island. Uh, and a relief foreman. So four days a week, I was the night closing foreman. Uh, and uh, one day a week, I was a right operator. And I would give the normal foreman their days off uh, along the line. So come September, uh, guess what's going to happen is we're going to close on Mondays and Tuesdays. And Tom Sawyer's Island's only going to open on the weekends. Okay. Uh, so uh, my, my, my supervisor at that time frame, Jim Hott, uh, handed me a spiel. And he says, Tom, uh, memorize this. Uh, and this is on a Sunday evening. He said, memorize this on Wednesday morning, uh, report to the jungle. Uh, so in turn, yeah, I memorized it. I showed mm -hmm. up at the jungle 
they assigned me a trainer. His name was Earl Archer. Uh, we made four trips, and he says, you're now a jungle skipper. Oh, my God. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, <laughs> so from that point forward, I worked I, I worked the jungle uh, on on uh, Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays, and worked Tom Sawyer's Island on Saturdays and Sundays. Okay. I have always wondered about those skippers because you tell these jokes and I feel so bad sometimes for the skippers because they will tell these jokes that are like these really funny puns and stuff. And then people sometimes, depending on what ride you're on, they don't laugh. So yeah. how, how was that, you know, doing these funny little spiels? And if you had a, a crowd that just did not react, what did you do to entertain yourself? Uh, well, <laughs> part of part of it was was I I wasn't in that realm of getting the standing ovation every time, <laughs> every time they took a boat out. The, a couple guys out there, Earl Archer and 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 uh, Lee David uh, and uh, Mel Minus. Uh, every time they took a boat out uh, and come back in, they get the standing ovation. And I'm wow. not sure how they did that. If they if they offered free tickets or something <laughs> for everybody to, to to get up uh, and 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 stand, but but uh, enjoyed it. Uh, there was there was times when when you'd have a boat of people that was totally involved. Uh, there would be a time when you had a boat of people that didn't speak English. Uh, mm -hmm. and yeah. my, my Spanish was muy poco. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, uh, in turn, I developed some relationships with some of the, the, uh, uh, tour guides that came out there from the various, uh, tour agencies. Okay. And as long as there wasn't English speaking people on the boat, I would let them, uh, do part of the spiel in, in, in Spanish. Okay. Yeah, cool. Now, did they give you? So you said you kind of had a script to to learn. So did did you just kind of go off off script, or were you able to kind of come up with your own jokes and, and add to the spiel yourself? Uh, it was a combination of all. Okay. All all above. Uh, you'd listen to other skippers uh, in a break room. Somebody would say, "Hey, you know, I've used this one done the mother-in-law joke with the." With the with the headhunter and and you know got got the standing ovation at the dock. So okay, you got to use that one. So part of it, uh, and then upon occasion, uh, they would come down and uh, because everything got so out of hand, uh, they'd bring us reel everybody back in uh, to the to the the set script that uh, that Wed had put together. Okay. Mm -hmm. Do do you have a favorite joke that you remember? Oh, this is a mother-in-law joke. Uh, okay. Every every everybody had that one, you know, and and it was always you know turn around and take a last look at that dock. You'll never see it again. <laughs> <laughs> did did you operate any other rides after the Jungle Cruise or uh, every ride and attraction at Disneyland, with the exception of the steam trains and Mario? Okay. And, okay. and, and, and the reason being is a steam train and monorail were operated by Retlaw. And Retlaw oh, was, right. was a, separate a, company. Co a company owned by the Walt Disney family. And uh, they were sort of restrictive on their costume sizes. And in order to work the monorail, you had to be six foot. Oh, okay. uh, and I was never going to be six foot. Okay. <laughs> so. I wasn't going to make uh, make it on monorail. Now, a little bit of exception to that that happened a little later uh, in the career. Uh, some of the things I would do is is uh, things were real slow back then. Okay, and uh, uh, there's days when when there was only maybe a couple thousand people in the park. Oh wow. wow. Imagine that now, now. I was going to say now. I mean, before COVID, there were a couple thousand people. I feel like in a square foot. Uh, yeah, <laughs> but uh, uh, they they'd make that decision on whether they were going to close the park or not, uh, and then on rainy days, uh, <laughs> you didn't answer the telephone. 
because they'd call you and call you off. And if they caught you at home, okay, you, you didn't get any pay. Okay. If mm -hmm. you, if you ended up getting to the time shed and they caught you, you got two hours pay. Okay. If you ended up getting punched in, then you got four hours worth of pay. Okay. <laughs> so, so, so on a rainy day, you didn't answer the phone. Okay. But I, you know, I did a, a lot of things and, and, uh, uh, you know, they filmed, uh, filmed some uh, movies out at the park. Uh, and uh, got got uh, uh, quite a bit of overtime working in those movies. Uh, uh, worked uh, Dixieland at Disneyland. Uh, the first one I was on the on the keelboats with uh, Firehouse Five, uh, and the the next two uh, was uh, uh, Louis Armstrong. I drove the raft for Louis Armstrong, and then the next two years was Al Hurt. And I drove the rafts for Al Hurt. So, uh, you know, those are those are neat things to remember along that line. Yeah, I, I, I can I can imagine. Yeah, just uh, like you said, Disneyland, all the celebrities and just everything going on. Then um, any any memorable kind of interactions with a celebrity or kind of your favorite one that you interacted with at your time at Disneyland? I was just thinking the same thing. Good question. Oh. Oh well, that's because you're probably husband and wife. Uh, <laughs> uh, one of those Osmond uh, brothers were out at the park quite a bit, and they did a whole series of the Osmond brothers in the park. And okay. I was working working the Skyway, and uh, uh, they're doing a filming role up there, and in turn uh, a speaking part. And none of the guys that were working the Skyway wanted to do that. I said, well, I'll do that. Okay. <laughs> and and uh, uh, so I, if I remember rightly, it was, you know, look down, watch your step and exit to the right, I think is what I, well, what, what I said. Well, in turn, by ending up getting a speaking part, I had to join AGVA, but I got residuals for a couple couple three years oh that's uh, pretty nice yeah yeah from you know look down and watch your step and exit to the right <laughs> <laughs> so the sort of neat things like i said the uh, the the dixieland i really enjoyed that and that was a challenge and that was uh i was able to use the skills uh that i had developed you know two attractions in the park the keelboats and the rafts you actually steer and operate. Okay. 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 Mm -hmm. uh, I'll, I take that back. And the canoes. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. And then you, you kind of mentioned, you alluded to this, you weren't able to work the monorail at Disneyland, um, but you eventually moved over to Walt Disney World as they were building the Magic Kingdom over there. And I think the monorail was was one of the, the major kind of attractions that, that you worked on there. So, can, can you talk about what, I guess, that transition was like and what it was like being at Disney World and being involved kind of at the beginning of that park? Yeah, a, a little bit of it. We got to back up a little bit. Okay. Is, is, uh, yeah, in, in 63 or 64, I got an invite from my other uncle, Uncle Sam. Uh, and, and Uncle Sam wanted me to participate in a little uh, war that we had going on in in, in Vietnam, and uh, okay. I sort of looked at it, and you know, back then, you know, all males had a two-year obligation. Well, actually, six-year obligation, but two years of, of uh, active service obligation. And I uh, I made a decision. And I, I enlisted them. You do some dumb things in your life. But, <laughs> <laughs> so during the height of the Vietnam War, I enlisted in the Marine Corps. Oh, and, yeah. Yeah. So I, in turn, uh, I, I left Disney and I uh, uh, ended up being in, in the Marine Corps. And, and somehow in the classes that I took in high school or whatever, I, I, I was pretty proficient in electronics mm, okay. uh, and, and I scored extremely high. And so they made an aviation radio repairman out mm. of me. Mm. Uh, uh, so uh, I had, uh, I had orders to Da Nang 
uh, in uh, March of 66. I had packed up everything that I had and was taking it back to home uh, to store at my mother's and uh, a drunk tried to kill me and hit me head on on Pacific Coast Highway oh, and wow. uh, put me in the hospital for five months. Uh, and oh, from that point forward, uh, I ended up getting mustered out of the Marine Corps on a medical discharge. So I got out of the Marine Corps in August of, of uh, uh, 1968. So uh, uh, unfortunately I was in the Marine Corps when Walt passed mm -hmm. uh, and I was in the Marine Corps when everybody went out and uh, operated the New York World's Fair. Okay, okay. Yeah. so I missed, I missed those things. So I came back to Disneyland and in uh, uh, 1968, I had gotten married uh, I had uh, uh, married my wife Janice. Uh, we worked together in, in uh, Oaks Tavern in Frontierland uh, when I did a little bit of a, a food training program. Uh, as the as the uh, lessee's contracts ran out, uh, the company took over those okay. those those businesses, mm -hmm. okay. and the fast food contract was was handled by UPT. United Paramount Theaters, which was a subsidiary of ABC that had loaned Walt a whole lot of money mm -hmm. to open Disneyland. Mm -hmm. right. and, and when their contract ran out, then, then Disney took over all the fast food uh, operations in the park. And I was in a, in a little bit of a training program there when I ended up uh, enlisting in, in, in the Marine Corps. So, uh, in turn, I get back to to, to Disneyland, uh, had dreams of grandeur of being an electronical engineer, uh, went back to school at Cal State Fullerton on the GI Bill, and uh, realized after about a year that I wasn't going to be an outstanding electronical engineer, <laughs> and what I really wanted to be was in management, uh, and I had the opportunity to interview to relocate to Florida. Okay, uh, and uh, so I went through a round of interviews. I got promoted uh, as, as assistant supervisor, and my manager at that time, uh, Pete Cribbings, a fantastic guy to work for, uh, one of my mentors uh, uh, through the years at, at Disneyland, uh, wanted me to open the monorail system. I had uh, I had impressed him on how well I operated the people mover in Tomorrowland. Okay. Uh, and, uh, in turn, uh, they had uh, decided uh, that the guy that was going to open the monorail system uh, was going to leave Retlaw uh, and, and go to Florida. Well, he sort of looked at it and decided he wasn't going to go to Florida. Okay. <laughs> so that opened up that job and Pete uh, wanted me to be the opening supervisor uh, on the monorail system. So guess what I get to do? I got to train on the monorail. Uh, <laughs> and they, did, they did alter a costume for me. Uh, uh, back when the monorail first opened up, it was uh, monorail costume was was black pants, the a black uh, a double breasted jacket, and a white ascot, and a and a and, and a uh, campaign cap uh, uh, for those six foot tall guys. Yeah. Uh, and they had changed the costume over to what we called the Captain America costume. And, uh, and the, the costume was a, uh, was a blue with uh, a red, white, and blue trim. To okay. It. okay. And they, they altered a costume for me. And when I was walking out of war, uh, out of the locker room in this costume, uh, I'm looking at it and I'm going, okay, now I know why they want six foot tall guys to be on the monorail because I looked like a little red, white, and blue barrel. <laughs> <laughs> so I trained on the monorail and uh, we re relocated to Florida. Uh, I, I had never been east of Phoenix. Hmm, okay. uh, so, oh, wow. so that was a real change. My my wife had had the opportunity to travel across the country a couple times with her her family, and she was born in uh, Port Arthur, Texas, where mm, Janice okay. was born. Okay. Uh, okay. 
Okay, so uh, in turn, uh, had two Volkswagens, had a blue blue Volkswagen and a yellow Volkswagen, and uh, uh, the movers packed us up, and we loaded all our our uh, uh, necessities into the to the back car and towed it with the front car. So, so uh, uh, Janice had put a sign in the back of the uh, the yellow Volkswagen was two more bugs for Florida, and, and we got a lot of hoots and hollers, and that took us about six days to drive uh, across country. Uh, and uh, uh, we got to, to uh, 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 Florida in January, uh, late January 1971. Okay, that's what I was going to ask. When you got there, was the park, so the park was under construction by the time you had gotten there then? Yeah, when we, uh, when, when we, when I got promoted, they sent us out uh, on a pre-move. Uh, Bob Matheson wanted to make sure that, that everybody had the opportunity to see what was in Florida and to realize it was in LA. <laughs> mm-hmm. And, and uh, uh, so we, we ended up getting, getting uh, uh, in, in January, and I scraped more ice off my vehicle in Florida than I ever did in, in California. And it took me about three years to get acclimated. Uh, I'd go through a couple of shirts a day uh, just just because of the humidity. Humidity, yeah. Uh-huh. So when I got to, when I got to Florida, uh, <laughs> Like all projects, everything was running a little behind, uh, <laughs> and uh, the, the the monorails uh, were were going to be assembled at uh, Martin Marietta, uh, which was a uh, uh, aircraft industry uh, mm-hmm. plant, uh, one of the major industries in Central Florida at that time frame. I ended up uh, uh, getting involved a little bit in the in the parking lot, a little bit in the the, the car wash for the parking lot. <laughs> Pete would give the sort of going, Tom, take care of this problem. Tom, go take care of this problem. Uh, and uh, uh, I, I learned real quick on how to work with traffic. Uh, I, I moved the uh, a security boat, which we called the Striker. And had that move from from Miami to to Taft by rail, and then trucked it over and and put it in the uh, uh, waterways at, at Walt Disney World, uh, and got a little involved in in watercraft uh, until Ted Kellogg came on. It's it's sort of interesting that that the three supervisors of the transportation area were still here. And we still live in Florida, and we we get together. We're all retired, but mm-hmm. we get together about every six or eight weeks for lunch. Uh, and uh, uh, so Steve Baker ran the parking lot, Ted Kellogg ran watercraft, and I ran the monorail. Uh, so uh, we 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 see each other uh, about every every six to eight weeks. I schedule a luncheon. That's great. Just yeah, kind of reminisce awesome. and everything yeah. about. Not the old <laughs> yeah, the, the the biggest difference between the, the the monorails at Disneyland and the monorails at Walt Disney World is the Disneyland monorails only run in one direction, and they run very mm-hmm. slowly in mm-hmm. reverse. And uh, the the uh, uh, power pickup is on one side of the beam. Okay, in, at Walt Disney World. The power pickups on on both sides of the beam. Okay. And uh, you have paddles that sort of run on what we call a bus bar. Uh, and the train will operate in either direction. Huh. Uh, there was a lot of, lot of learning curves on that one. <laughs> <laughs> now, now ori- originally, was the monorail just the Magic Kingdom loop? Because I guess Epcot wasn't there, so it, it probably didn't extend past the Magic Kingdom. Originally. Yeah, we were we were supposed to open open with with six monorails. Okay, uh, we only had a three and a half. Uh, when, three and a half. When, okay. When we opened, I don't want to be riding that half a monorail. Yeah, well, the reason I say three and a half because inevitably one of them would break down on every mm-hmm. every day. So so uh, in turn, uh, you you had uh, uh, two beams. 
Uh, one was an express beam. It brought everybody from the parking lot to the Magic Kingdom. Mm -hmm. And the other one was a local beam that would stop at the at the hotels. And at that time, it was a contemporary hotel. And the Polynesian were the only two hotels on the on the system. All right, so that wraps up part one of our interview with Disney legend Tom Nabby. Be sure to tune in next week for the conclusion of our interview where he talks about his time at Disney World uh, all the way up through his retirement at Disney in the early 2000s and, and what it was like to become a Disney legend and receive that honor. So uh, still a lot left to cover with him. Yeah. Really excited for you to hear the second part of that next week. I want to thank everybody again for listening this and week. thanks to Tom Nabby. If you haven't already, please leave us a rating or a review wherever you get your podcasts. It really helps. Thanks for lending us your ears. Have a great week, everybody. We'll see you here next Monday. Bye-bye.